Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. About the potential for AI to become a major obstacle to humanity, in fact, may wipe out humanity, and what we need to do to uh, make sure that doesn't happen. And uh, Professor Bengio says it doesn't look like we have a lot of time left, and we don't have the in- infrastructure in place. And artificial intelligence may just say, we don't need you. Don't need you, humans. So that's why I said to him, I guess I'm going to be trained to fetch the newspaper. It's not funny. It's, uh, it's very scary. And it's come from nowhere. Tom Korsky, where the hell did artificial intelligence come from and, and scare, the, scare the pants off me? Well, I would say a couple of things, Roy. Number one, calm down. <laughs> the other thing I would say is, we are of an age, Roy, where we were scared of the Soviets, and then we were scared of AIDS, and we were scared of Y2K, and scared of climate change. And you know what I noticed? Every time someone said, be afraid, they usually got a grant. I don't want to be cynical, but I'm tired of being afraid, and they can't make me scared anymore. Yeah, but Elon Musk is afraid of AI. He doesn't need a grant. My friends and I will simply come down from the hills with our sticks, and we will take out the machines. I, you, you can depend on it, Rob. Oh, God, here we go. The Korsky's against the Terminator. <laughs> it's, it's a movie waiting to happen. Tom Korsky, executive editor of Black Locks Report and Mining Auto, always enjoyed the sessions. So I have to start with a bit of a giggle. It's, unfortunately, it's, it's not funny, but it is a bit of a giggle. Particularly considering that not so long ago, the public service was on strike for more money. And Blacklock's reporter reported on the 21st of June, changing times. See, stats can, underscore ENG, add char- char- I can't say it, charcoal barbecues and air fryers to a basket of goods used to calculate inflation index and remove DVD players and video cams because they, be, quote, become less popular with consumers. How much, how much do they make? <laughs> it's, but, it's, but it's legitimate, right? Now, oh, this of course is the it benchmark is. consumer price index. Yeah. And they want it to be really, really accurate. Yeah. And when you see the changes they've made, and this goes back to the First World War, when you see the changes they make from time to time, you say, my goodness, yes, T- time does march on. So they have this basket of goods. <laughs> And, and when you look at the change, do you remember when you had to buy uh, a roll of camera film? Well, they got rid of that in 2013. Yeah, yeah. And then in 1967, they added stereos and lounge drinks. Oh, those were great days where no one cared about climate change in those days. And oh. then they, they got rid of coal and, and knitting yarn. It doesn't mean that people stopped buying these things. It just meant that they did not become representative of the true inflation picture. It's a sign of the time. You said they got rid of a roll, and my my mind, my mind went to toilet paper. And then I remembered when the pandemic began, what was it people started to hoard? Bizarrely. <laughs> <laughs> it was toilet paper. Well, they were scared. That's what happens when I you get scared. St- I still have about 20 rolls. Yeah. From I those days on, oh, you make you me laugh. When, yeah, when the serious Department of Natural stuff, Resources uh, what brought in the climate change law, it was, we all have our thing. I mean, I, I guess I'm supposed to be ashamed of this, but I'm not. They, they said we had to get those LED lights, and they had we had to get away from the Edison light bulbs. And right. I said, 
well, no way. And the hardware store down the street here was pretty much given away. It was like a dollar a box. I've told my children, Roy, this is my bequest to you. When you want to know what the Korsky estate is, it's two entire closets packed with 60 and 100-watt Edison bulbs. Oh, man. Good for you. I, the, you. Are we talking about those little squirrely things that they wanted us to use, right? They wanted us to do the compact fluorescent, and they yeah. discovered, well, that was mercury poison. Yeah. So they didn't do their homework there. And then we, they moved to LED, but it's cast this very harsh blue light. It makes everything look like a police station. This is my two cents. <laughs> it's too... I still have the uh, the old tri-lights. I will not move away from those. Oh, those are classics. Because I can decide just how bright I want it to be in my room. This is, it's got everything. Going it's on. a mood setter, right? <laughs> <laughs> you start at 100, <laughs> and you work back to 30. And when you're at 30, you better be having a good time. It's the pinnacle it's of just my theory, right? You can't top it. You know, it's when Al Cap used to, little Abner creator, young people won't remember what that is, but the line was classic. Al Cap was at a university uh, campus doing a speech, and then he'd do a Q&A. And some student got up and said, uh, Mr. Cap, this university has a 1 a.m. curfew. Don't you think, don't you think that uh, it should be like 3 a.m.? And Mr. Cap said, son, if you can't get to 30 watts by 1 a.m., why give you another hour to make a damn fool of yourself? <laughs> I still laugh at that one. That's good. Okay, so um, I'm just speaking with Frank Stronach about the national debt. And our federal debt is $1.225 trillion, growing at a rate of approximately $145 million a day. You report at Minding Ottawa, June 23rd, diplomats at GAC.corporate spent $139,000 on circus tickets, galas, and concerts, as at CA Freeland promised to cut unnecessary spending. Like, what was that? What was she, what did she, was she going to cut? Was it Netflix? It's interesting. That was in the budget. And that was in the last budget. You're right about the about the federal debt. It is now proportionally the highest it's ever been in history. And that's after inflation. I mean, that's in constant dollars. It's extraordinarily high. Everyone knows the pandemic cost more than World War II. That's a fact. Parliament spent more on the pandemic than to win the Second World War. And there is no projected date for a balanced budget. But Minister Freeland in her last budget in March 28th said, I'm going to cut unnecessary spending. What kind of unnecessary spending? And sure enough, the MPs ask questions. They, it's called a sessional paper. They put a request on the order paper. And departments must respond. And there was an MP who asked Doug Shipley from Barry Springwater, Ontario, asked, what are you guys spending on, uh, on uh, FUFA? What are you spending on the government expenditures on gala or concert tickets? And the return came back. Oh, it would. You could feel your blood pressure going up. Circus tickets, Cirque du Soleil tickets, diplomats, ambassador in Serbia went to a Brian Adams concert. That was $895. You're welcome. Diplomats in Bangkok went to a block party, billed $475. There was a dance party in Colombo. That was $3,000. Down the list. Deficit times are good times, Roy. We've always said that until the party's over and someone gets the bill. And I guess someone still thinks the party is going on because they still continue to spend money like this. Yeah. 
That's really, really, it's, it's beyond concerning. It's approaching terrifying um, at a rapid rate because we cannot survive. And Mr. Stronach, by the way, just very simply provided a 20-year formula to get out of debt in 20 years. And he understands how to do it. He built this incredible business empire. And he started, he told us he started with a, renting a little space in Toronto, 5,000 bucks, rented some, rented space, got some machinery, and off he went. And, and look at what he's done today. And in 20 years, he said, if, um, if you follow my formula, country will be out of debt. Otherwise, it's going to be your grandkids who are going to be paying for it. Okay, so what, what uh, share with us, because I was reading this story, the feds say, or they, they haven't said yet, Christian Freeland, the finance minister, has not confessed, actually not informed, whether they're going to sell all their shares of Beijing's bank, which has been, as Blacklock's reporter correctly identifies, has been dubbed as a communist front. Quote, I'm not able to answer questions, one of the executives told members of parliament. Why would this be complicated? Bob Pickard, you recall, Toronto publicist who got a job as a chief communications officer for the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, abruptly resigned and said this is a communist front. In fact, he used very salty language. He described it as a cesspool of party influence. It's, he compared the operatives, the communist operatives in the Beijing Bank to the Gestapo, and the Stasi, the East German police. Well, Minister Freeland came out that day and said, well, this is so serious. This is so alarming. After her department had explicitly been asked numerous times in committee and denied that it was a communist front, they saw this legitimate bank. And Freeland said, you know, this is going to go under review. So the question became, she said, we're freezing our dealings. I thought, no one still knows what that means. Does that mean you're not going to the cocktail parties anymore? Because they passed an act of parliament. This goes back to Bill Morneau, Roy. Jobs, 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 Morneau said. They passed an act of parliament in 2017. It said to the tune of up to half a billion Canadian taxpayer dollars they would spend on shares in this dog. And the question is very simple now. Where's the money? Can you get the money out? And here at the Special Commons Committee on Canada-China Relations, MP were, MPs were asking executives of the Department of Finance, where's our money? Can you get the money out? Well, it was like asking the cat. I can't answer the question. I don't know. I'm not on the Asian. You know, these were directors general of finance policy. You'd think this would be pretty straightforward. Let's pretend it's like circus tickets. You know, we can maybe if we if we speak their language, can can you get a refund on the circus ticket? They couldn't get a straight answer. I think we know what that what that means. You've never seen that half billion again. So here we are talking about China, and uh, it, it raises the question whether Senator Victor O, oh, and you write on this, no comment from Senator Victor O oh on reports, he planned retribution against, quote, politicians, nonsense reporters, and newspapers, end quote, over China stories. The situation has escalated. Please fill us in. This is fascinating. There have been uh, retired editors, uh, for instance, of uh, Tsingtao, Chinese Language Daily, and there have been others, uh, members of the Chinese-Canadian community, who have testified innumerable times in, in parliamentary hearings, look at, you should see what is going on under the radar in the uh, Mandarin and Cantonese language media in this country. 
that is uh, unobserved by the vast majority of us who do not speak the language. So there's a group, and it's called Found in Translation. And they have assigned themselves the necessary public task of tracking public comments by public figures in the Chinese language press and videos and platforms like WeChat. And here they find a Canadian Senator, Victor O. Oh. And what did they say? On the 4th of June, Senator O oh speaks to a very small group at the Montreal Chinese Community United Center, 50 people in the room, and he is very upset by what he calls smears about Chinese Canadians. He says they're always looking for spies. The timing of the speech is really unfortunate for the senator because they'd already expelled a real Chinese spy. So this was not fiction. It had happened. And there was another member of parliament, you know him well, Roy, Michael Chong, who testified in committee that he was so alarmed by threats he received, he called his local police. Mm -hmm. Senator O is oblivious to this slander. He calls it. They're smearing Chinese people. What does he want to do? He says he wants to set up a foundation and start suing people. We're going to go after those groups you name, Roy, politicians, nonsense reporters, and newspapers, and we're going to sue them for libel to shut them up because I'm tired of them going on and on about Chinese foreign agents in Canada. That's a sitting Canadian senator, Victor O. Oh. You pay his expense account to go to Montreal and make those kind of comments. Yeah. And no one would have even noticed if it wasn't for this group found in translation. Uh, Tom, on the uh, issue of the Senate now voting to allow citizenship judges to use electronic means, quote-unquote, to perform their duties, this is after, and you and I talked about this one, when the immigration minister proposed foreigners swear allegiance by clicking a box online on the uh, climate, or was it? Uh, Citizenship Immigration Canada website. So they're all into it now. You know, Roy, um, this is in an omnibus budget bill. 430 pages. This is in Division 19. It's one line. We always say these, those omnibus budget bills like a big bale of hay, and you know there's needles buried in there. you got to have to look for the needles, and this was one. We must ask the Department of Citizenship four times for a straight answer. They wouldn't answer. What does it mean where they say and I'm quoting, a citizenship judge may, in the exercise of their powers, of their duties and functions under this act, use electronic means as prescribed by the minister. End of quote. And that, to me, means exactly what you and I talked about last February, when there was legal notice served that the inexplicably... The Department of Immigration wanted to allow people to swear in old immigrants who had completed their citizenship test, paid their $630 fee, that rather than attending by Zoom or in person an, a ceremony where you must stand, you must raise your right hand, you must look straight forward and state in a clear voice that you will love this country because this country will care for you and you will pledge loyalty to all our laws and your fellow Canadians. And they wanted to replace that with a click box on a federal website. The feds have been panning for this. I think they buried it because they know the outcry was, all, it ran right across all parties. You could not find someone who thought this was a good idea. Watch that one, Roy, that one, that, that's still out there. Uh, Tom, I'm still of the persuasion 
But when Election Canada enumerators go from door to door, making sure they have everyone who's eligible on the voters list, that you should provide proof of Canadian citizenship, not just say, yeah, I'm Canadian. And each time I bring that up with somebody in government, they become very uncomfortable. And they say, well, no, you can't do that. And I say, well, why not? And they don't have any answer. It just seems incumbent on me that if you're going to vote that you provide proof. A proof is a proof. We know that from John Kretschian. I can answer your question, though. You know why? Because last time they looked in the 2019 election, they found over 110,000 names of ineligible voters on the National Registry. 110,000. There you go. Well, if you don't have to provide the proof. Exactly. Exactly. At Elections Canada was asked, did any of those people vote and did it make a a difference? And you know what their response was? It's too much work to open the poll bags. Circus (laughs) tickets. (laughs) <laughs> Thank God. We're in trouble. <laughs> we need the Korskis coming out of the hills with the sticks. <laughs> oh, we're out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you soon, Tom. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Ryan. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone. And for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.